Please pray with me. Father, I ask that you would use this time to deepen our worship and praise of you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the sermon is, What I Learned on Summer Vacation. About a month ago, I hit the road for a two-week road trip to Colorado. And a lot of people asked me, Josh, why are you driving? Why aren't you flying? There's a lot of answers to that question. I really like driving. I love seeing the country. But the primary reason I drove is it's just a great time to think. I do some of my best thinking driving. Some people can go on day-long silent retreats with God and have a great time of connecting with God. I have a hard time doing that. I get way too antsy. But you give me a long car trip, and it's a great time to pray and connect with God. So I hit the road. It was just me and God and a few CDs and a couple audiobooks and the open road. And here's what I learned. I learned where the largest truck stop in the world is. It's on I-80 in Iowa. I learned that I really like Taylor Swift's new CD. But more importantly, I learned that I have not been teaching people to worship. At Ascension, we talk about living out our faith in three ways. We worship, we grow, and we give. These are basics of the faith that are necessary for all people of faith, regardless of whether you just became a Christian or, or you're more advanced in your faith. These are basics that never go away. And since seminary, I thought I had been teaching people to worship, to grow, and to give. But it turns out I was only teaching them to grow, to grow some more, and to give. When I thought I was teaching worship, I was teaching people to use worship services as a means to grow. I wasn't teaching them just to, to worship for the sake of worship. The rest of this sermon is about how I came to realize that, why it's important for me and you, and I'm going to take a stab at explaining what it means to worship. Would you please open your pew Bible to page... 508. That's where Psalm 148 is. Page 508 in your pew Bible. The full psalm is laid out for us, and it's a call to worship. The psalmist keeps saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. He, he covers everybody he can think of, living things, inanimate objects. He wants everything in the world to praise the Lord. And he offers that command 12 times. Whenever I get the, the preaching schedule, I look at the four passages for the day and I, I pray about what I'm supposed to preach on. And I never thought I would preach on a passage like this. Because there's nothing going on. <laughs> How can you talk for 20 minutes on a psalm like this where there's nothing going on? As I listen to, to Galen cant the psalm, I closed my eyes and I imagined what it would be like for the cattle of the world to praise the Lord, and for the insects to praise the Lord, and for the kings and presidents of the world to praise the Lord. And it was really 
an awe-inspiring thing. I want to say from the beginning, this sermon is more topical than expositional. That is, it talks about a topic, praise and worship, more than it goes verse by verse explaining this passage. That's normally not how I like to do things. But I think for today, it's the best thing. And if that chafes against your sensibilities, well, then I ask you to be gracious and and just take the good stuff. So let's get back to my road trip. On that trip, I visited five different college campuses. Many of those campuses are, are places where former youth group students of mine attend. I got to connect with some of them. It was great to see them. They're doing great. They're reading their Bible. They're praying. They're reading other Christian books. But they aren't going to church very often. One of them said it was something they wanted to change next year, to go to church more regularly. As I kept driving, I wondered why this was. And then I realized they were only doing what I had taught them to do. I did strongly encourage them to find a church to worship at or campus ministry to be part of, but it was always in the context of growing. I tell them, find a community, a community of faith you can worship with so that they can support you and you have a place to grow in your faith. I had taught them to go to church, to go to worship services, to grow. And they were smart, and they had learned that lesson. They were finding ways to grow in their faith. They were reading their Bibles and praying. So who can blame them if they found a different way to grow that didn't involve worship services and going to church? If going to church was about growing, who can blame them if they found another way? And then all of a sudden I start to realize why many adults that I've worshipped with don't go to church on vacation. Why would they? They're just doing what I taught them. Going to church is about growing. And so if you can take your Bible or a good Christian book to the, to the beach and, and read it there, why go worship on a Sunday morning? So I kept driving and, and I don't know if this was in Nebraska or Indiana, you know, all the thoughts kind of merged together. But I started thinking, what is worship? What does it mean to worship? And do I worship? Donald Miller's book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, helped me understand worship. You may know that Donald Miller is this Christian who wrote a bestseller a couple years ago called Blue Like Jazz. It's about, it's basically a memoir about his life and his faith, and it sold tons of copies. And so one day, these Hollywood producers came knocking on his door and said, Don, we'd love to make a movie about this book and about your life. And he said, okay, let's give it a shot. So they sent a bunch of screenwriters to to Don's home in Portland, and they they hung out for, for a bunch of days and a bunch of weeks, and they started to write this script. But early on, Donald Miller noticed that the main character in this movie, whose name was Don, was doing a lot of things that the real-life Don never did. And he said, wait a minute. That's not me. I never did those things. And the writer said, oh, yeah, we know. That's the Don in the movie. 
That's not you. That's not real life, Don. We need to make the story flow. There are some basic elements of story that we need to insert so that the audience will like Don and want him to win. That wouldn't be the best thing to hear about your life, would it? I don't think the movie got made. But a lot of good things did come out of the process. As Donald Miller wrestled with this idea of, of seeing his life edited on screen, he started to think a lot about story, about his story, about our stories. And here's where worship comes in. One day he asked, what if the story isn't about me? What if my story, what if your story isn't about us? I had very subtly been teaching people that the story was about them. I had been teaching them to go to worship services so that they could learn more about God so that they could have a better life. I had been teaching people to use God like a tool. He was an indispensable tool if they wanted to have a meaningful, significant life. But nonetheless, the, the message I, I conveyed under the radar was to go to church so that you can get to know God, so that he can make your life better because the story is about you. I don't know if you're tempted in this way, but I'm often tempted to think that the story is about me. At the end of the day, the question isn't, will we worship? We will worship someone or, or something. So how can we move to a place where the story isn't about us, where we're worshiping God and not worshiping our, our own self-interests? How can we move to a place like the psalmist, where his desire is to see himself and everyone praise the Lord? The thing that helps me understand this best is the way that tithes and offerings and sacrifices were collected in worship in the Old Testament. As acts of worship, God's people would bring their tithe, the, the tenth best of the harvest that year, of their grain, their vegetables, of their livestock, and they would bring it into worship services and present it to God, but then God would give much of that to the priests for a very practical purpose, to support the priests and to Keep, keep the worship life of the community going since the priests weren't farming. Much of it served a very practical purpose. But then there were other offerings and sacrifices that didn't serve a practical purpose. And those things would be collected, and they would be taken up to the altar, placed on there, and set on fire. Consumed, there would be no practical purpose. It would return no benefit to the person who made the offering, no benefit to poor people, no benefit to anyone. If we followed the Old Testament way of giving our tithes and offerings, this service would look a lot different. The ushers would collect our tithes and offerings, and the tithes would be taken out and set aside to support the, the priests and the, the church staff and the ministries of this church and our outreach. But then... The offerings, all that cash, all that money, would be placed on the altar and set on fire. It would accomplish no 
practical purpose. It would simply be a demonstration of how much we value God. But nothing practical would be accomplished. That helps me understand what it means to praise and what it means to worship. I come to God and tell him how great he is without expecting anything in return. One definition of worship is to ascribe worth, to attribute worth to something, to say that something is valuable. A definition of praise is to express admiration. Notice that both these things are very different than thanking God for something and then asking him for something. Praise and worship simply rejoice in who God is without asking for a thing without seeking to use him to further our story. Maybe that's why the psalmist in Psalm 148 goes out of his way to think of every possible thing in the world that could praise God. Because the story isn't about those things. And the psalmist is trying to get everyone's attention focused on that, that the story is about God. I don't know what your worship life is like. I know that just because I come into this building and and I come to this service doesn't necessarily mean that I'm praising God. I like to think that I do a decent job of of living my life as a, a living sacrifice and worship God that way through the decisions I make and the way I interact with people. But praising God is not something that I'm great at. But even though I'm not a professional on that subject, I wanted to at least set the record straight today and begin teaching you the right things. Maybe we could take a few moments and just practice. I'm going to invite you to to bow your heads. Why don't we bow our heads? And for a few moments, just silently, just praise God for who he is. And then I'll close us in prayer. Father, you are holy. You are so gracious and patient. I pray that you would help us to praise and worship you the way you deserve. I pray that you would help us turn our thoughts around when we begin to think that the story is about us. I pray that you would teach us to praise, both corporately and as individuals. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.